welcome to another episode of Watch the Game presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined by my co-host for the second time, Jeff Vayette. Hey, Jeff, how you doing today? I'm surprised you let me back, but I'm good. I know this may end up being a trend considering how everything's been going on, but you know we have some breaking news to talk about before we have Bill West of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review on to talk about the Penguins, and it's that of Brent Burns' eight-year, $64 million contract what are your thoughts on the deal? It uh, at like you know at a face value level, it seems like it's a good deal, but there's all kinds of funky stuff happening with it. Are are you a fan of the deal, or you know he's going all the way until he's forty? Is, is this something that you know is a good investment for the Sharks? Well, I mean, like my first thought from, from my uh, from my little biased area, the center of the universe, so I was a little annoyed because Burns was on my uh, Burns was on my target list for July. But uh, beyond that, no, it's a really strange deal. Like I, I don't. I don't fault him for taking it, obviously, because uh, this is a guy who has been criminally underpaid his entire career. Um, he gave Minnesota all sorts of value. He gave San Jose all sorts of value. Uh, so he deserves to cash out. But, uh, yeah, it's a steep one to sign for eight years at, at the age of 32 in a league that's only getting younger and younger and faster and faster. Um, and the way that it's structured, too, it's very, very, very lockout protected. Uh, it's... It's a crazy one. I'm not sure how well it's going to look for the Sharks towards the end, but I guess they figure that they need to take advantage of the the first couple of years when they can. There is something to be said that he's only 32, and you know, I mean, he's 32. Some people consider that on the wrong side of uh, 30 there, and he's still performing as well as he can. I feel like and this may just be me that he could do this for you know five six years, and at this point, with what's going on with the possible CBA coming up that you know that's something that they could worry about at another time uh, do, do you kind of get that feeling as well well i mean he was smart about it he used half of his forward career and he used half of his defensive career and that's why he's a little bit younger now uh no i <laughs> I, I think I, I i think that he is still a guy that's going to be pretty productive into maybe his mid-30s he's clearly near the top of the league in in shot volume he's someone who likes to be aggressive in getting the puck up he's a solid skater he's He's a big body. He's able to. He's got. He's got a lot of tools that lean in favor of longevity. Uh, the question is just now: How long can anyone last? Like as long as Yager's here, no one's going to say, "Oh, well, you can't play until you're X age." Because we have one example of of why that's not the case. But I think he's one of those last surviving outliers. I think we're going to get closer and closer to other pro sports where players are old men at 34, 35, 36. And 34, 35, 36, in his case, will be two, three, four years from now. Uh, and he's in for eight. So it's it's weird. It re- It's really, really weird. And you can even tell that he's a little prepared for it, considering that his last two years combined to be just $10 million in the contract. For sure. And what I think about Brent Burns, and I hope that this ends up coming to fruition, and Bill Daly talked about this last week in regards to marketability and how they aren't, you know, there to you know put a player front and center it's all about the teams i feel like he is one of the most undermarketed players in the entire league no one i mean people know about him within the game but i feel like as a personality and how like goofy he is that he should be like almost like nationwide at this point i i, I don't understand what where the disconnect is at least from a league to you know fan standpoint don't you think it's it's, it's, it's so weird? It's so weird. And I mean, there, there are reasonings for it. First off, we don't promote the players in general enough. Secondly, he plays in the Western Conference, so he already has that uh, 
taking him down too. And I guess just because it's California as well, there's not the attention on any of the star players that play for any of those teams in the in the level that there should be. Like anyone on Anaheim doesn't get the attention from the East Coast that they should. San Jose and and LA. There's so many great players there that no one talks about. And there are some really good personalities in that group. And he might be the wackiest of the of the wackiest. He might be the 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 league's most interesting man with his gigantic beard, his zoo, and all those other fun things. <laughs> and he's just also like an extremely electrifying hockey player to watch. Uh, it, 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 the fact that he doesn't get promoted more, the fact that even uh, his his buddy up front, Joe Thornton, doesn't get promoted more. And that's a guy who's first out Hall of Famer, by all accounts, one of the legends of the game. And he doesn't get talked about the way that he even got talked about as a kid. Um, it, it's, a, it's a weird scenario. Uh, he's He deserves the credit. And I think he still has a few more years to carve in that, that I guess, social legacy um where he can resonate with the fan and i think now that he's got a locked in spot to do it in at least for the for the immediate future uh it it, there might be a little bit more of that and i hope that there's a little bit more of that uh you you talked you talked about that uh the social legacy and like around you know san jose and the league itself but what is the window for the sharks team Marlowe is more than likely gone after this year. He's going to be asking for a lot of money, and this team isn't going to be able to invest in that. Uh, you know him the way they want to. Thornton's going to be wanting a deal. What's the window on this team? And they're you know outside of Hurdle and you know maybe Timo Meyer. There's not there's not too much there. Yeah, and that's the weird thing. Uh, I've been saying weird a lot the last uh, couple of minutes, but I guess it's just it's just such a weird situation. Um, the Sharks, are, the Sharks are a team I don't think have a ton left in them. I think that you you look at guys like Marlowe who are close to the end of their career, like Thornton, who is still an elite player, but he's not what he was even a couple of years ago. Uh, Couture looks like he's he's still going to be good for a while, but he never quite materialized into what everyone thought he would be when he had his huge breakout a couple of years back. Pavelski's great, uh, but I don't know how much he's gonna he's gonna carry a team. And obviously, Vlasic is one of the most underheralded uh, defensemen of arguably this generation. There are some serious pieces there, but you're right. Afterwards, you're looking at guys like uh, like Meyer, like uh, like Hurdle, who are good pieces, but not lights out, blue chip, going to reinvigorate a team quality. It's going to take some smart management from Doug Wilson to continually bring in some shrewd signings that line up with the with the current age curve. Um, and maybe even find some guys that are a little bit younger, draft well with the picks that they do have, and not give up too many picks come the upcoming trade deadlines. Um, it's it definitely has to be a bit of a restock on the fly, not necessarily even a rebuild on the fly. And it's a challenge. But in the meantime, they should have at least another year or two in this window where they can remain competitive and take one or two more goes at the cup. I was just about to say their window's got to be like one or two years. They're, it, it, they they have him signed for eight, and you'd kind of think to yourself maybe they'd overpay Burns for you know maybe a four or five year deal, and then after that he could go back out there and see if he can get something else. And I and this and the way that the league's structured now, you almost have to get these give these eight seven eight year deals because if you're gonna you know shortchange a player. Um, 
anywhere, it's not gonna it's not gonna be on the, the term itself. You can do it on the money. You can find you know ways to work around that at times, but you just can't do that on the term. And I think that's where they're honestly gonna be end up getting uh, not not screwed. <laughs> that's that's not a good nice way to you know refer to uh, Brent Burns' contract. But it's it's pretty much what it's gonna be by the last few years. And I wonder how they're going to deal with it and the rebuild on the fly and, you know, California hockey and, you know, how all these teams are kind of aging suddenly. You, you look at the Kings, you look at the Ducks, and you're like, okay, they have uh, they have Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff, and then they have Ryan Kessler signed until he's about 40. You look at the Kings and you're like, ooh, Dustin Brown is still on that team. And you see Anze Kopitar, obviously a good piece, and, you know, some good, uh, other nice pieces on defense. But you start to think to yourself, man, what – is the Pacific reign of the California teams, is that going to come to an end? Do you think that's coming to an end soon, sooner rather than later? Or how, how do you view them? It's it, it, it's going to require good strategy. That's the thing. I don't think that, that we're in a position where we can clearly lock in uh, a lot of teams in this league as being perennially good or perennially um, in the bottom of the standings. Like we have on one side, we have the Toronto's, Florida's, um, the Winnipeg's of the bunch that we have a good idea that they're going to be uh, loaded teams moving forward. On the other hand, we don't really know where Detroit or Vancouver are going to be like next week. But um <laughs> But but with them, they 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 there's still guys that are not right at the edge of their door. They're still at a decent enough age where they can contribute a couple more years in. And it's a matter of not throwing all your eggs into that basket. It's a matter of not doubling down and saying, okay, well we have these guys that are 33, 34. It's our last shot. We need to shed any lost assets we have to go get them a supporting cast and try to win this this second. Because then you do have to start a rebuild once you succeed or fail. If if you know what you're doing, you uh, you you do as best as you can to not give up any uh, any draft picks. Uh, try to hit as often as you can. Uh, take a lot of risks in trying to get skill on all of those on, on all of those picks, so that way you have uh, so, so some sustainable talent to plug in every so often. Kind of what Chicago's done over the past couple of years, as they've had to shed core pieces because I guess in their case it's it's salary that gets in the way more so than aging, um, and constantly look to the free agent market you need to kind of hit on those grabners those stepniaks those parentos those guys who sign short-term prove-it deals um to to try to reinvigorate their careers or try to grab a trophy uh you need to be super active in in august september instead of july if you can do those things you can extend your window for a little bit longer maybe not be the expected powerhouse every year but still be in the conversation without it being oh we're on the scale of mediocrity I was about to say, when we both used to write at the Wings Nation, there was like a little bit of that about how we didn't try to say that the uh, the sky was falling, but that we, we, we tried to notify everyone, you know, this team has a really, really strong chance of not being good as soon as next year. And I feel like they're the, ju- the, like the drop-off between... You know, fans and management, like the the rec- like the recognition, isn't there for some. I, I really wonder why that is. Do, do you do you think there's an explanation for that? I, I I don't know. And for the record, I was definitely saying the sky was falling. That sky is just like warp speed through the core of the earth, gone the <laughs> other way. Um, that's that's one of the more doomed teams in the uh, Jeff Fayette uh, still be no a wings hater. Clearly, uh, no, they're a classy and underrated team. You have to understand. Um, <laughs> No, they do it all I, well. I guess 
Yeah, I guess it depends on the fan base. In their case, uh, I think uh, when we talked to Greg the other day, he brought up that uh, that it's weird sometimes seeing the teams that you grew up with being great uh, fall apart and become a little bit less relevant. And I think that's what Detroit fans are going to have to uh, to to feel in the next few years. They're so used to the team being good that the concept that they can't go and bring in something that they also recognize as good uh, in a prior time isn't going to help them. You can't just rely on grabbing grabbing a name because they're familiar um, and hoping that that's going to make up for the fact that the prospect pool is empty and there's nothing really coming up. Um, and I think every team has to come to that crossroads where they have to understand that there needs to be a transition, uh, whether it's a drastic one where you, where you nuke it all from orbit and start again, or you at least try to free up some open space so you can slide new guys in uh, over time. Uh, you you can't you can't sit there and 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 hope that everything's going to be the same forever. There's not enough uh, there's not enough wiggle room in the NHL to stay complacent with the same group. You always have to be tool, uh, retooling, re rearranging, and always trying to find the most efficient instead of just uh, what's what seems fair at the second. Because once you settle at fair, you become mediocre. You know, we talked about the player. You know, marketability. We talked now about the roster construction here, but I kind of want to talk writer to writer with you about you know what JT Brown did last night and and how he acted on the ice and how he acted off the ice. It was honestly really weird. It seemed like you know something like just went wrong and he he was th- you know punching Ryan Ellis while he's on the ground. Took a fan's phone and smashed it. How do you personally like uh, like approach those kind of pieces? I always kind of feel odd whenever I you know say for instance when Brandon Dubinsky. Uh, was cross-checking uh, Sidney Crosby in the back of the head. I was writing it, and I'm kind of like, I don't know how to do this because you have you have your core readership who wants to, you know, be basically wants you to be a homer. By the same token, you also have to present, you know, what's going on there. How, what are your thoughts on writing those kind of like tough pieces and presenting, you know, players in in an even keeled light? I think you just have to report on uh, on what you see and what you're aware of. At the end of the day, yeah, these are we we know in a case like Browns, like obviously he's 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 going out there presumably defending his player. He saw Ellis's hit, which at first glance didn't look the best, uh, and and he was and he was visibly frustrated about it. And when he when he wouldn't smack the the, the person's phone, I mean, yeah, that's obviously way over the line but in a moment of adrenaline that kind of stuff happens but they're still accountable for it you can't just do a thing and say oh well in fairness like i shouldn't have done the thing but but i um well i lost my train of thought there i shouldn't have done the thing but at the same time because I know I shouldn't have done it. It's cool. Let's just move on. You're still accountable. Uh, and in Brown's case, I think you absolutely have to take it as that. And is he someone that might not do that again? I don't think he'll do anything uh, to that extreme again. I think it's such an outlier situation, even for um, an emotional player like he is. Uh, but it's still definitely a situation where you have to you have to be respectful of it and respectful as reporting what the truth is. No, for sure. And we were talking, you know, off mic beforehand, how this was even on TMZ. Uh, Hockey's not on TMZ very often unless it's, you know, something involving Sean Avery. So this is an interesting way for the the league to get picked up. With these kind of, you know, incidents and things like that and fighting kind of going away, I'm trying to figure out 
this is obviously we can't really talk about this with about ten minutes until we go to uh, to talk to Bill West. But like, how do you think that hockey overall should be presented to make it more palatable to the mainstream? It's. I, I think it's something you have to do all the market research in every city. It's not a. Uh, it's there's not a cut and dry solution to the game. I think. I think there is uh, a bit of uh, okay. We do need to promote the star players. I think every league has built uh, their their marketing material around uh, around that kind of stuff. But um, it, it's there's no easy overarching opinion. If there was an easy solution to figuring out how to make the game bigger. Um, a marketing team would have come up with it already. It's going to take a lot of time to see what works in every sing- in every single city, uh, and maybe what works is those teams being good. Quite often, what works is those teams being good. If we're being honest about things, um, and yeah, I don't think it's as simple as having a makeshift uh, magic plan. I mean, you might have some ideas that I might even agree with, but I think it, I think ultimately there's. Uh, there, there, there needs there needs to be a lot of due diligence in there, and it's not a directly easy answer. Yeah, and I, first off, you know, I know this is a couple questions ago, but I was sitting here and I said writer to writer, and I don't think I've ever said anything more pretentious like out loud on a <laughs> podcast. When I said that, I was like, you know what, this this really sucks, and at some point, I'm gonna have to find a way to you know shoehorn how badly that sucked in there. No, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying about you know the one size fits all, and I think. With football coverage and baseball coverage and basketball coverage, it's lazy to say that there's a one-size-fits-all plan, but the way that they're marketed by the league makes it so much easier to cover the the, the teams in like a, such a way. I, at least that's the way I feel about it. And uh, it's, I think it's tough to you know gain certain attention um, on your articles or things like that when you know, it's not almost like the same goal, same hit. You see a lot of the same things sometimes. And when the, when you have something dynamic happening, and when you have something like JT Brown smacking a, a fan's phone out of their hands, it's like a you know, oh my gosh, hair is on fire type moment. This is something that we don't see very often, and I think that's why a lot of times the mainstream media latches onto it. Now, a place that the mainstream media is going to be latching onto a lot in the near future is Las Vegas. Uh, they're going to be announcing their team name. You know, I think within the hour or so. Um, I think we're looking at about an hour and a half. The conference, uh, I believe, is at uh, 8 Eastern, and we are currently at about 7 Eastern. Got it. So what do you think about the team name? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Is there a color pattern that you're hoping for? Are there you know, any players that, you hope, that you're hoping get on that team in the expansion draft? What, what are your thoughts you know, looking way, way ahead? Um, well, first off, I think we're, we're, we've pretty much understood that it's going to be the something nights. We don't know what that something is. Uh, hopefully it's something just completely, completely ridiculous. Like the Las Vegas presented by monster jam nights or like the Las Vegas Red Bull nights or uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm open to just about anything there. I obviously Bill Foley wants to keep that night connection because of the company that he owns and, if you can fit that into Vegas with the whole with the whole playing card narrative, and it makes sense. Like that's cool. Uh, as far as how I would approach the branding, the color schemes, all that kind of stuff. Um, honestly, as a uh, as a big fan of the greatest World Cup of Hockey nation in the world, um, I would just straight up rip off as much stuff from Team North America as possible. I really love the whole super dark but with bright accent color uh, patterns they had going on. My um, I actually just got in my jersey yesterday. I'm so stoked to bring that out for outdoor uh, this winter. 
Um, but that's that's how I would look at it. Is I I would try to be the dark, mysterious, evil team and kind of go super modern with the with the jerseys. And hey, stealing another team's idea wouldn't be completely unprecedented. Like I'm not sure if you remember the Dallas Stars jerseys uh, from I guess the late '90s, early 2000s, where if the player wouldn't put his arms up to celebrate, they'd make the shape of a star. That was that was an NHL All Star jersey before that. They basically took a uh, a previous jersey and they they rearranged it. There was for a while I think the Flyers, Penguins, uh, Senators, and I want to say there was another team. The Lightning all had the same Reebok template uh, for their jersey and just changed the colors and the logos. And I mean even even the other day the Leaf Centennial Classic jersey is a Panthers jersey in a different color. Um, the the idea of taking a template isn't out there. I love what they did with the North America brand, and I think it's heartbreaking that we only got to see it for about five glorious, beautiful games. So you slap a you you slap a knight on it. You keep the you keep the neon orange or green or whatever, and you do that. And I buy everything that you can throw at me. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. I think if you have like uh, anything bold, I think that Las Vegas will do well with that. I think that if you you make it bright and shiny just like, you know, the strip is in the town itself, then I think that people are going to jump onto it. Not even just fans in town. I think it's going to be, you know, outside as well. And I I'm really really excited to see how the team does. I we talked about this with uh you know Greg the other day and he was, you know, adamant about his thoughts on the team and I I love the unknown with it. I l- really really like that Foley hasn't told us what's good like, you know, what the team name is. Not a lot of leaks have come out. It's been, you know, having to dig around and seeing, you know, uh you know, a copyright here or a uh, a uh, website registered over there, and I, I like that. I, I like that they you know that there's some mystery to this, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's almost it's almost like a viral marketing game of its own, like an alternate reality game that we used to see back in the day when they launched movies or video games or whatever. It's it's it creates mystery, it creates buzz, it creates interest, and I think they waited for the right time to uh, to announce otherwise to actually bring out the brand. Uh, something that a lot of people don't realize is I think this is the 99th anniversary of the first NHL game. Um, so November 22nd, a very good day for the national hockey league. Um, so that it ties into that too. Um, but they've given us months of speculation. It's good. It's going to be cool to see what they come up with. And then I guess from from here, you're just looking at what players you're going to get. And that can honestly go any sort of way. Like I was reading TSN today and Craig button did a, uh, that list was absurd. Right. I thought the list was absurd at first. I wouldn't do it the way that he did, but his his method and his back reasoning behind it uh, makes a lot of sense. If you notice, what basically the thing with Vegas is that first year, they're allowed to go to two-thirds of the cap floor. So they can be extremely low to the cap when they first start up the team. Uh, so that way they don't have to go and draft complete hot garbage off of... Uh, uh, off, of, off of other teams like they're not going to pull David Clarkson off of the Blue Jackets as a favor just because they need to hit the floor uh, I'm sorry I hate to, I hate to break it to you it's not going to happen the Leafs aren't losing Nathan Horton uh, none of that crazy stuff is happening if you ask every fan base who they're losing apparently Las Vegas is going to have like 200 players their cap it's going to be like 1.8 billion dollars and the team's going to get like four points uh, that's not happening their smartest strategy is 
either if a if a if a really good player comes up in the draft, yeah, you take him. But beyond that, you take advantage of the fact that you don't necessarily have to hit the floor. You go and get the best players available. Now, Budden's strategy was a little different. What Budden was doing is he tried to hit exactly what his makeshift floor is. And I think the makeshift floor is about 46, 47 million. His idea was to get there, get there with as many defensemen picked as possible because defensemen are easier to trade or more valuable to trade. I forget what exactly his terminology was. And with that low, with that low salary, that's when you can take in some of the bad contracts, but instead of drafting them, you get them as sweeteners. You get a team that'll give you like a second for uh, for like a, a second and a overpaid six million dollar player, and for your eight hundred k guy that you pulled off just because uh, he was extra roster depth on like the Sharks, um, you take a Kirby Reichel off the Leafs, and then you go and trade him for a first and Dion Phaneuf, something like that. Uh, it's it, it's a creative idea, and it also lets them be plenty 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 flexible. Uh, during free agency, if it wasn't for a few hours ago, they could have offered Brent Burns like 15 million a year. Yeah. Um, it's it's that kind of thing. They, they 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 can go after some big names on short term or even long term deals if they get close to the to the floor, and they can get good right away. It's not a terrible strategy. It looks really ugly because he picked guys who perfectly shaped under his salary model, but I understand it. It makes sense. It's just not the way I do it. I agree. I don't think I would do it the exact same way, but it, now that you've explained it in that way, it makes 10 times more sense. When you just get a screenshot on Twitter in 140 characters, you think to yourself, now what the hell is this? Why Why would he ever think that this is the team that you want to put together? But getting the explanation and you know actually digging deeper and uh, you know reading the article, which you know I, I blame people uh, at times for not reading the entire thing. I need to do that myself. Uh, now, before we... Uh, you know get bill west on here to talk about the penguins it is your birthday today jeff uh it is it, it, no when this comes out it'll be uh yesterday but what is your one wish for the nhl overall what 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 do you wish could you could do for the league not even from a commissioner point of view just like you know you can even you know just pull out of a hat and have it be anything as random as you want um I'm gonna be real, real, real biased here. I'm not gonna steal any players or anything, but uh, no salary cap. I would love no salary cap so we can stop with all these ridiculous, um, convoluted, uh, lockout protected deals. And also because I follow, I follow and cover a team with an infinite prospect pool, and I would like all those guys signed as long as possible. But that's irrelevant. No, it's uh, no cap would be fun as long as the teams uh, could sustain themselves. And I think most are starting to get there. Uh, I think if you look at what the average salary is now compared to when the league instituted a salary cap uh even even the the teams that don't spend as much like the current floor is what was considered alarming uh back in 2004 uh as long as it didn't spiral out of control perhaps a luxury tax would be needed uh that's that's the way i'd love to see it basically be impossible but uh be fun no it it would be fun and i think that's what you know, this is your wish. You know, you're 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 allowed to not have any reasoning behind it. But I I think that having a a league without the salary cap would be interesting because we've just seen how the MLB has you know gone about things. And a lot of times people talk about money puck now, and I I think it'd be interesting to see it from that point of view. I think that would be cool from an analytics standpoint. You know, putting together a team, say if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, my hometown team. And you're trying to, you know, put together like, you know, a bottom six on on the cheap. 
that's when you're really going to you know start seeing some interesting deals being made and how how the league reacts to it and i you know we're not going to see that but it's fun to talk about and it's it's nice to you know hypothesize about certain ways to you know uh make the league better and make the league more interesting but yeah. i guess hey it's, I'm glad you're – hopefully some point in time, Jeff, you'll get that birthday wish. But until then, I guess it's time to have Bill West from the Pittsburgh Tribune review on. We'll be right back. Hello, and we are now joined by Bill West, Penguins beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune review. Bill, how are you doing today, buddy? Um, not too bad. I am sitting at a, a rest stop somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania on the turnpike. On on route to uh, to New York City, so doing good. <laughs> I hope that wasn't on account of us, but we we appreciate the time uh, to talk to us. Um, the the most pressing news uh, overall, at least in the world of the Penguins, is everything that happened yesterday with uh, Jake Gunsel. Uh, who the mm-hmm. heck is this guy? He he came into the scene last night with a vengeance, and he had solid numbers last year in the AHL. Is he going to be more than just a, a flash in the pan, or how do you see him panning out? Uh, well, certainly the Penguins hope he's more than the flash in the pan. You know, you, you look at the, the prospects, I guess you want to call them that, that have uh, burst on the scene the past year, and, and you wonder how many more can they, you know, hit with as opposed to miss. But uh, Gensel, as you mentioned, has very good numbers at the uh, AHL level. He had a solid career at Nebraska-Omaha. He, he only signed and, and joined Wilkes-Barre uh, late last season after he finished his college season. So, you know, he doesn't have a long um, you know, professional track record, but Everything that he's done so far in terms in terms of point production, it's uh, it's possible to project them as a, a pretty useful NHL player. So it, you know, time will tell. Of course, yeah, when you you start off with two goals and your first three shots in the NHL, that's at a pretty high bar. But uh, I, I think you know, realistically, this season, if he can become um, you know a, a, an effective call up and a guy who challenges for uh, in all likelihood probably a bottom six role, I'd say unless. You know, if he does keep scoring this way, then maybe he gets to play on Crosby or Malkin's wing. But in the the reality is, he'll probably push guys like Brian Rust and Connor Sheary and Scott Wilson for those, um, you know, kind of uh, lesser minutes. Now, uh, you you mentioned you mentioned his night last night, scoring those two goals on the three shots, and that makes you think of a lot of these younger rookies that have been coming in and really been the story of the league this year. But you have Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh, who's obviously he's way above a plane of game. He's doing Sidney Crosby things, and it's not really it's not really the topic that it's usually been across the league. Do you think that fans from I guess outside of Pittsburgh are almost getting tired of the talk, or what, what should we be expecting from him at this point? Do you still feel that he deserves the uh, the attention that he's had in previous years uh i I guess he gets the attention because he's he's done a lot of winning a lot of scoring all the things that attract headlines yeah i think there are more um uh exciting players out there maybe electric players out there connor mcdavid i I think certainly comes to mind and you know i've uh, spoken with a couple people recently who of course asked the you know is this a valid debate who's the best player in the world right now kind of thing and I, I hate that debate in general because it's so difficult to say who the best hockey player is because there's just different skills involved. I, I feel Sidney Crosby is probably the most complete hockey player uh, or close to it in terms of what he does offensively, defensively in the neutral zone, you know, in terms of exciting plays, but also the small details. Um, you know, McDavid, I think right now is is doing stuff that not many other players can do because he's so young and athletic and just explosive. So, uh, you know, I, I, 
I think if Crosby kind of fades into the background, it's only because he's just not as uh, sexy, I guess, for lack of a better word, as some of the, the younger guys who are just able to go end to end and, you know, dangle through guys. And that's, that's stuff at this stage that Crosby doesn't necessarily even want to do. He wants to play more of uh, Mike Sullivan's system. For sure. Um, on the on the subject of, I guess, guys who are uh, who are a bit flashier at times, a bit a bit uh, polarizing at other times. Uh, Phil Kessel, obviously a Stanley Cup champion now. Um, where do you think he is at this point of his career? Do you think that he's that he's due for another one of those huge years that we saw years ago in Toronto, or is he just kind of your super role player there in Pittsburgh now? I think he is a specialist in Pittsburgh more so than yeah, I, I think he's very different than in Toronto. That's let's put that out there. That yes, he is not going to be uh, responsible for speaking on behalf of the team. He's not going to need to carry the team. Uh, if he doesn't put up monster numbers, it's not a crushing blow to the Penguins. They do need him to be, uh, you know, when they're elite scorers, that's why they brought him in. It's a, a talent that Jim Rutherford, the general manager, has pointed out several times. Goal scoring is still. Uh, you know, arguably the most valuable skill in the league or, or certainly the hardest to find. So um, you know, Phil needs to be able to put the puck in the back of the net. And I call him a specialist because I, I think that's to some extent how the Penguins have used him. Uh, they give him a lot of offensive zone starts and you know, certainly want him to be a prominent piece of the power play. That, that wrist shot is uh, you know, still probably as, as wicked as it's ever been. And his passing ability has, has really you know, stuck out. I, I think... And maybe you guys in, in, in you know, Canada and in Toronto have been more familiar with it, but I know for the Penguins fan base, what really um, caught people by surprise last year was how well Bill distributes the puck, mm-hmm. whether it was to stars or, again, even kind of allowing guys like Nick Benino and um, Carl Hagelin to become better scorers. So Phil is uh, still very much a playmaker, but he is not the playmaker with the Penguins. No doubt. And then with the Penguins overall... You know, the storylines are obviously about the strong players, you know, the flashy players and things like that. But another storyline that's been getting some talk, especially with Las Vegas being announced tonight and the possibility of the expansion draft, is the goaltending situation with the Penguins. A lot of people want to pay, you know, peg it as that there's some sort of deep-seated goalie controversy. But how exactly is the team dealing with uh, Fleury and Murray this year? And how do you think they're going to be dealing with it into the future? I, I think the Penguins are trying to deal with it by... Uh, not dealing with it, I guess is maybe one way to put it. Um, you know, the, the players, when you ask them about it, they say, we just want to play as hard as we can, as effectively as we can in front of whoever's in net. Uh, you know, when you talk to Flurry and Murray, they, they both just talk about respecting each other, that they uh, get along well. They're both trying to handle this professionally. You know, everyone's saying the right thing, basically. And, and you can't blame the Penguins for doing that because what's the incentive to, to you know, feed the fire, so to speak? The, the rest of the world, as you pointed out, is smart enough to detect. Um, this is going to get awkward at some point and maybe complicated because Marc-Andre Fleury not only is a guy who has been the recent starter, he's been the, the unquestioned starter for a decade now. You know, he's a former number one overall pick. Uh, he's, he's beloved by people in the city because not only was he a good goaltender, he had this great personality, you know, kind of a fun-loving guy in a locker room that doesn't have a lot of them. Uh, so it's, it's difficult for some fans, I think, to accept... Um, you know that Flurry's time has maybe come as a, a Penguin. Um, you know the team, you know, Jim Rutherford in particular, has made it clear that they would like to keep Flurry uh, around. You know, Rutherford said possibly through the expansion draft. I think that will take some very creative deal making on his part. Not that he's not capable of it, uh, but I, I think in all likelihood, in the long term, 
uh, plan is to, to have Murray, who at this point is certainly cheaper, younger, every bit as effective from what we've seen. So it's, it's an issue that still hasn't quite come to a head in Pittsburgh. But you can tell, especially if Flurry continues to not play quite as well as Murray when they are splitting starts, that uh, that discussion is going to heat up a little bit. It, for sure. And especially if a guy like Murray, it's it's really impressive to see someone come into the league this quickly and become this dominant. We saw it a bit in the AHL, but not to uh, it's still it was still a bit of a surprise. Now, someone else who I, I guess suddenly burst onto the scene and hasn't quite done the same thing as he had done initially uh, with the Penguins is Oli Mata. There have been a lot of there's been a lot of talk of him being on the chopping block for many of the fans this year. What are the Penguins' plans of him, and do you see him potentially being trade bait if uh, if his performance doesn't pick up? Oli is a, an interesting case. I um you know I, I'm certainly familiar with the speculation about you know whether they could swap him for Truba, and, and certainly by now it seems you would need to package uh, Oli Mata with someone. It wouldn't be a straight up one for one kind of deal. I, I think the Penguins still have high hopes for Oliamata. He has not been consistent um, this season, and, and even late last season, that was a bit of a challenge for him. Uh, you know, he's working on his skating. I, I don't know if the Penguins' style of play, the the tempo and the pace, has exposed Mata a little bit, just because he does seem to struggle um, with you know his ability to pivot and to uh, you know just play in transition again to go from moving forward quickly to moving backwards quickly. So. I don't think the Penguins see that as a deal breaker. Uh, I, I do think they are certainly hoping that he comes around, whether it's figuring out skating or just figuring out how to play better with the limited uh, skating ability. But they still like him. He's a, an incredibly young player. I, I think he is either t- 22 or j- you know, turning 22 soon. So, again, far from uh, you know the middle or, or peak of his career yet. Um, and, and, again, in the meantime, he... he He's a good guy in the locker room. He's uh, seemingly a smart player. Certainly doesn't bring a whole lot uh, for them that you know, would want to make them get rid of him anyway. So uh, he's he's a project and maybe a work in progress. I guess is the best way I put it. Yeah, totally. And it's completely understandable given you know how well he's done in the past to give him some sort of a leash. And um, but by the same token, you know the team's ultimate goal, especially after winning a championship, is you know doing it back to back. It's a very 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 hard thing to do. Do you think that the Penguins have a legitimate shot at repeating? It seems like with the, you know, the Blackhawks and the Kings, it was an every other year thing. But a lot of people this year, the progn- the prognosticators, were saying that the Penguins have a shot at repeating. What what's it like being in the city itself, being in the locker room, and, and uh, taking a temperature on the team? I you know I think when you look at the numbers, and I think this is certainly what the, you know some of the, the savvier prognosticators you know base their their thoughts on. The, the Penguins last year played in a way that seemed repeatable. They, they didn't get to the, the cup and win it by, um, you know, having a really hot goalie or, or, you know, riding a hot power play, anything like that. Uh, they got some lucky bricks, obviously, but ultimately they just played a, a dominant style. Um, and they're trying to do that again this year. They certainly haven't gotten off to the, the same start. You know, the, the metrics aren't quite as favorable of them. But I still think they have a, a good chance. And, you know, the, the Penguins fan base... Um, know is is fairly knowledgeable not there aren't a bunch of analytics fans walking around or anything but they uh they they're able to see that this is a team that is pretty deep certainly understands how it wants to play and um you know can can control games in fact you know when they played uh toronto i'd say that was one of their better games um of the season thus far but uh it's they're, they're still figuring some things out especially on the shot suppression side they just haven't played defense as well as they did last year 
So the, uh, the, the you know Penguins themselves and the fans all understand that it's a long season. Uh, it's not early enough to, to panic or you know pencil their name in for a cup winners. But so far, the results are mostly encouraging. Now, for those who don't necessarily watch the team that often, which I feel is probably very few people, I feel that they're one of the more popular teams, even from non-fans. But for those who don't, uh, what should what should they know about them moving forward? Hmm. What should they know about them moving forward? Uh, they should continue to keep an eye on on all of the the young guys. I guess is what I'll call them. You know, we mentioned Matt Murray. Uh, Oli Mata isn't necessarily a young guy in terms of one of the guys that was called up last year, but still young. Um, you know, guys I mentioned earlier, Connor Sheary, Jake Gensel, Scott Wilson, Ryan Rust, the, almost all of them were rookies a year ago uh, and either had never played in the NHL or had you know, a handful of games from the season prior to that. So this is really kind of the, the sophomore uh, effort for many of them. And the, the big question was whether there would be a, you know, a little regression and, and you maybe a step backwards if the rest of the league figured them out or if they just you know, simply got in their own heads. So for the Penguins to, to do well and to play with that kind of four-line um, you know, depth that they had last season, they, they need those young guys to continue to perform. They, they haven't quite gotten the scoring touch uh, yet this year. Connor Sheary has, I, I should stipulate, but uh, Scott Wilson, Brian Russ, and those other guys are still working through um, you know, some offensive slumps. So if the Penguins lose that, you know, those contributions, then they go back to, to being essentially two or three big stars with a bunch of role players that don't quite carry their weight. So for the, uh, you know, the, the unaware penguins follower, which like you said, hard to find those people. NBC kind of forces <laughs> you to say something about the penguins, but uh, that that's the main thing to keep an eye on is it's the, the all the unknowns or the quote unquote, nobodies that kind of came out of the blue last year. Um, you know, they, they need to become more of somebody's in the, the rest of the season. It is tough to miss those rivalry nights against the Lightning on Wednesdays. So I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, now, kind of switching gears. I think you get a good game there if you get the Lightning. <laughs> I mean, I'm more like Penguins versus, I don't know. The, well, the Islanders are up and down, but yeah. you get the idea. Yeah, I know. Totally. Totally. Now, sw- switching gears and talking about you a little bit, uh, Bill. Um, we talked to Jonathan Willis before, and he's someone who talks a fair amount about, uh, I almost said politics, analytics. And <laughs> it puts you in an interesting spot given that you're a member of the mainstream media the analytics community and the mainstream media seem to, you know, have this, you know, wrestling match between the two of them. Who's right, who's wrong, or how they try to, you know, make this happen, uh, or at least try to present their information. So what what do other beat reporters think of your coverage in general? Are people willing to learn, or is this just a different, unique avenue that you've decided to take, and uh, it's just another thing and that, take, uh, you know, sets you apart in Pittsburgh? I think there's there's more variety than um, you know. Certainly, Twitter leads you to believe you know, it's always those that talk the loudest that kind of get noticed. So again, the the troll types out there that completely bash analytics, they kind of represent the other side. But there are a lot of writers who are are willing to consider the the advanced stats. Um, I would still say I am in the um, notable minority as far as someone who not only looks at them, but actively tries to work them into coverage and really tries to let them sometimes um, lead the way. You know, I, I don't want to claim to be a guy who only looks at numbers. I, I watch the game, obviously. I talk to the players. I try to tie it all together and, and you know, just kind of make it a nice overall picture using all the information at my disposal. I do wonder why some writers and reporters are so actively opposed to uh, analytics because at the end of the day, it is just information. 
Um, you know, it, most of the things, shot attempts and, uh, you know, PDO, these aren't even crazy mathematical equations or anything. You know, PDO is your five on five shot and save percentage. So we're not talking about some groundbreaking stuff. It just happened that it's a, a stat that helps you figure out whether a team's really lucky. Uh, you know, again, shot attempts, same thing. They're, shot attempts are actually tracked in the box scores that they hand us all in, in sheets of paper. It just doesn't, you know, come with kind of the on-ice uh, for and against calculations you can find online. So I started using it because, again, it made sense for me. It helped make sense of the, the you know, what I was watching every night and kind of give me a bigger picture. I think more reporters will adopt this in the years to come. You'll tend to notice that a lot of the guys that are opposed to it are probably older, have been covering the game for a while. So for their sake, it's kind of just like, why learn something new if you've gotten this far without doing it? But you know, I think you see the guys that are using it, guys and girls, I should say, um, you know, covering teams that are younger. They're they're more inclined to look at the uh, the advanced information. No doubt, no doubt. Um, wh- now, before we let you go, Bill, we want to give you an opportunity to plug your Twitter account where we can find your work, uh, maybe a TV show or movie you've seen recently. Um, the the floor is now yours, sir. Floor is mine. Oh man, that's scary. I, see, I'm I'm not big on having the floor myself. I'll, <laughs> I'll plug Twitter. Uh, my Twitter account is B West. That's B for Bill West, like my last name and the direction. Um, underscore Trib T R I B. Uh, so you can find my links there. I tweet a lot of my stories. I also tweet a lot of the other stuff, including advanced stats. If that's what you're into. Yeah, I'm trying to think movie or book something. I should. I don't have any of those things. I'm I'm not that big time yet. But I'll just say thank you for the opportunity to uh, to come on and chat. I'm always always happy to uh, you know talk about hockey and and kind of where it's headed, both the game itself and the way it's covered. Thanks for coming on, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Yep, no problem. <laughs>